the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. AM 970 presents Eye on Real Estate. This is your premier source for real estate information. From the hot properties in the tri-state to the latest in real estate market trends. From mortgage news to answers to all of your real estate questions, you'll be in the know with help from the experts. Call now, 866-970-9622. 866-970-9622. Now, here's your host for Eye on Real Estate, Douglas Elliman's CEO, Dottie Herman. listening to Eye on Real Estate, and as I tell you every week, we're one of the only shows on talk radio, and now we have a great show before us, because real estate is so hot, everyone wants to hear whatever they can hear, Um, it's all about real estate and all the millions of things that you have to do with real estate, or that you can do. Um, We always love to hear from you, this is a new decade, and um, the pandemic led us through, you know, we, real estate led us right through the pandemic. Um, actually, it thrived and it's continuing to thrive. So we're always going to keep you abreast. We always, we'd always love to hear from you. So please always call us at 866-970-9622. That's 866-970-9622. Uh, this week is the uh, a great week. And I'm happy to introduce, um, as you know, my co-host, Stephen Ebert who specializes in real estate, law, both residential and commercial. Stephen is a partner at Kasson & Kasson LLP. Kasson & Kasson LLP has offices in Manhattan, Westchester, Dallas, and Phoenix. So if you have any legal questions or dilemmas about real estate, please give Stephen a call right now at 866-970-9622. Um, good, mor- I- good morning, Dottie. Good you know, morning. Great to be here for our listeners and and a lot, a lot of things going on in the real estate market, as you're heading to. Yeah, can't wait, wait to talk about it. Can't wait to talk about it. You know, Stephen, we're, uh, Ace is not going to be with us today. He's on a business trip. So, Ace, you're here in our heart. You're here in our spirit. And so we will try to uh, do our best. If you have any mortgage questions between Stephen and myself, we'll try to do our best to answer them. Um, and again, at 866-970-9622. I certainly want to thank Citizens Bank, which works with Douglas Elliman as a preferred lender, and they are the largest financial institutions. We thank them for their support. They also support their customers by providing an integrated experience that includes mobile and online banking, a 24-7 customer contact center. And so you can easily find more information at, go to citizensbank.com citizensbank.com. Join us at, at 11 o'clock right after the news. Uh, we will have Dr. Sherry Spray to discuss with us the differences of emotional support versus service animals. And that was one of the callers called us last week or the week before and asked, I'm in a no pet building and I see people with pets. So why is this? And they were service dogs. And she's going to tell you, you know, what the difference is 
and what you legally are allowed to have in buildings and restaurants. So we're looking forward to speaking to her at 11. You can reach me at Facebook and Twitter and Instagram or email me at dottieherman.com. And please follow our new Facebook page for Eye on Real Estate for exciting news and more. Um, you can post questions there. Or again, if you're listening, 866-970-9622. We love to hear from our listeners. Today is March 6th, and I, I, I think, Stephen, that the winter is probably going to, you know, it's probably going to start to get nice out. And so for those of us in the Northeast, I think the winter is about to subside, um, and we're going to get nice weather. But on this day in history, 1933, the Great Depression, with President Franklin D. Roosevelt declared a bank holiday, closing all U.S. banks and freezing all financial transactions on this day in 1933. In 1957, Ghana became the first sub-country to gain independence from the British. And in 1983, the first United States Football League games were played. So that's you know, kind of a long time ago. If your birthday is today, you share it with Shaquille O'Neal, which is an American icon in basketball. Connie Britton, an American actress, Alan Greenspan, who was the former chair of the Federal Reserve of the United States of America. Uh, so we have some pretty famous people on this set. Today is also, and I don't know if you've ever watched that movie, but uh, I did years ago. Today is Alamo Day. It's March 6th, and there's Remembering the Alamo, which Texans, according to many sources, began fighting for independence from Mexico in 1835. And by December of that year, the small Texas army captured the important crossroad towns okay, of San Antonio. And uh, they recaptured the town on March 6th in 1836 after like 13 days of like fighting. And, you know, it made history, and it there's a movie, Remember the Alamo, and the cost of entail, you know, in regaining San Antonio uh, contributed to General Santa Ana's defeat less than two months later. So it was a big, famous day, and today is the Alamo, so everyone remember the Alamo. Uh, Steve, did you ever learn about that? Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's a great moment in history, and if you actually read... There is a letter um, written from the folks in the in the Alamo about um, getting additional support. They knew they were coming, and everyone stayed. You know, nobody ran away, and, and they really fought valiantly. Um, and there was another battle, which says it's not as famous as the Alamo, but also uh, Goliad. There's these two battles in which they face incredible odds and really fought. Um, and, and it's it's unbelievable. But this went on for many many days. Many, and many. letters were sent, yeah. But it really changed the course of history. So um, lots of things going on. We're going to give you like a recap of what's going on. But one of the things I found interesting in the papers this week was that Target, which obviously did thrive during the pandemic because uh, they had, a, you know, those I think that had great online presences did well, said their holiday sales rose solidly, capping it a year when the retailer increased revenue more than it had in the previous 11 years. So that's, you know, that's pretty significant. And I, this is just my feeling on 
this whole pandemic. And I, and I like to, um, hopefully we're coming to a, a slowdown. I understand that certain states are not gonna require masks pretty soon. I heard that Texas might not, I think Florida, they haven't done it yet, but I think that they're planning to eliminate masks. Uh, I, I think in the case of Texas and Mississippi, it's very recent that they just eliminated the ma the mandatory mask mandate. They, they're leaving it up to the individual. It gets to that in the last couple of days for those right. two states. Well, I, I think I went and, and I went to my first fundraiser since the pandemic and a good friend of mine, um, unfortunately, her her husband died at 50 years old of, of some type of brain cancer and that was like 10 or 11 years ago and she does a a benefit for the uh, foundation that supports that disease and they actually had in uh, Florida which I went to a, in, in, in Palm Beach at the Breakers they had a live event which people went to you know, so that and that was me the first charity event that was that I've been to that wasn't virtual. And the way they did it was if you when you went, you you could you had to wear a mask, but then if you set once you once you sat at a table, you didn't you you could take your mask off. But if you stood up for any particular reason or went to another room or went to the ladies' or men's room and you had to walk somewhere and had to stand up, then you had to put your masks on. So, but, you know, I, 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 I'm not, I think that if this is going to last, I don't think people's behaviors are so leery about it. So I don't think that people are going to just abandon masks and all this, but you can start to see it's kind of lightening up. The cases are down and um, we will never forget. I mean, you know, I mean, this has been kind of a crazy year. Okay, I mean, not kind of. It was just, you know, but I think that we're we're coming to not the end because I'm not sure that, you know, I think like the flu, which I don't hear about anymore. Obviously, I never heard it. Now everyone's got COVID, but they don't. I, they don't mention the flu anymore. But as someone was saying to me, this might be around, but it might be like because everyone's vaccine, it might come down to a point where it's kind of like a flu, and you maybe have to get a shot every year, or there might be different strains. Uh, but it seems like yeah. the numbers are significantly less. What do you hear? Or what do you see, Steve? Steve? I'm hearing the same trend line. And I, and I think the comment about, you know, what to wear, when to wear it, you know, there's a great article, and I think it's very well said, um, about someone who is going to take a trip. Um, and actually, I believe they're one of the editors of the New York Post, take a trip to the Caribbean. And there were some warnings. So they decided to go to Florida. And they were on a plane. Uh, this just, you know, they just wrote about their experience. They're on a plane leaving from Newark to Florida, and the plane was jam-packed. And, and they were making the point where there was not one empty seat, and you're sitting on a plane in incredible proximity, not six feet separation, maybe six millimeters separation between the next person and yourself. And, um, you know, and thinking about having a cohesive policy. And I think this gets to a broader statement. We, we luckily live in a country with federalism, right, where states can make decisions. It's not everything is all one rule national. We have the ability to experiment state by state and in some degrees on some policies city by city. And I think people are now getting to the point where we're saying, look, we need to be smart. We need to be careful. This is something real. However, 
we also need to realize there is a harm. There's different harms that can come in the way. And the reality is if we have full restrictions in place, you're going to kill the restaurants, you're going to kill the businesses, and you're going to create different harms. And, and as they saw, unfortunately, in the past year, you know, increases in, you know, cardiac issues and suicide, and, and, and we'll have Dr. Spree later, as you mentioned to me, and, you know, depression. So, you know, you, you want to make sure that the cure doesn't cause other harm. And, and that's exactly. the balance that I think that we need to discuss, and, and let alone the impact on real estate is tremendous. Exactly. You, you know, I don't like to criticize anyone as far as with the pandemic because it was new for everyone. So people, I don't think anyone really knew exactly how to deal with it. So, um, you know, I am not apt to criticize people because they kind of maybe didn't handle it right or they're, you know, or they, you know, and this is not to be political, uh, but they now are using the governor of Florida to show how he did very differently than New York. I mean, he kind of left it pretty open. He never shut things and he kind of left it, not kind of, he kind of, he left it, you know, when, other than when we were all on lockdown, he left it to your own discretion so that if you had underlying conditions or you felt that it was unsafe for you, then you didn't go out. But if you did not feel that you could. And um, I'm, you know, I understand that. And I say to everyone in Florida, gee, but New York was so different. But I think New York got hit the hardest very quickly. And when I tell people that in New York, if you went to a person's building, you couldn't go see your mother. They wouldn't let anybody up. And when you think of how bad they, you know, I used to watch the governor every day. He used to come on like, I think 11 or 12, something like that. And we were bad. So New York really did a lot more stuff of keeping people away from each other. Uh, you, you really couldn't do anything and you couldn't even have somebody in your building or somebody come up to your apartment. Uh, but again, I guess we had a lot of cases. So I'm not sure that anyone knew exactly how to handle it, but all that I, I'm happy about is it seems to be dying down and like kind of just flattening. And so we're all happy about that. And we hope that stays yeah, that I mean. You're absolutely right. You know, we, when we were here, we, we look back a year ago, and you can imagine, I guess it's been a year, you know, it's very hard to tell what's the right policy. A lot of money was spent, you know, we need ventilators. That whole conversation right. has changed. And people that know, so I, I don't find fault, you know, with anyone for saying, look, let's make the best decision um, that we can based on the information that we have. Um, my my general complaint were people who politicize the healthcare matter and pandemic um, for gain. Um, that that right. you know I have big issue with that. But I think now a year later we have a much better handle on things. And even people when they're getting cases right, you hear some cases where people may have only had one shot, not the second one, and they've they've contracted COVID. But the, clearly it's effective because the symptoms have been markedly reduced even while the vaccine develops in the body and becomes more effective but I, and i think recognizing these new facts and i think that's how we have to analyze things as we get more knowledge and more experience we need to evolve our policies and my my big criticism you know is that new york needs to be a little bit more flexible i understand what we did a year ago 
but now we're in 2021. Now we have a lot of data and we need to evolve smart policies because we need to really get moving along now. Uh, I, I think we're a little behind on that. Yes, I agree. It's uh, spring and we, and that's why I'm always telling you support your local businesses because they really need your help. Uh, I think that New York businesses got shit hurt the hardest, but I will tell you, real estate is busy. Steve will tell you the same thing. Uh, I just released our exclusive, you know, we have the Douglas Elliman market reports for co-ops, condos, and townhouses. And in 2020, it's, we saw a, a, such a pent up demand um, after the spring COVID lockdown, which was what, about March, I think of last year. And yeah, while about a year. Yeah. yeah. So while sales were short a year ago, they are really picking up. You see a lot of young people renting, people coming into a city that they couldn't afford to before because prices are down. Um, the median, but the median sales price still remained above a million dollars. So when people hear that New York is cheaper because most places are going up, it's still not, you know, you're not going to get it for nothing. I mean, it's still expensive. It's one of the most expensive places still in the country. Uh, and workers are coming here and companies are sending, sending people here. Somebody asked uh, if, if they would, if they think that people will ever go back to the offices again, and I really don't. I mean, I think at some point they will. I mean, people are going back now, but I think that the COVID has changed the way people work, and I don't think that that's going to change. I think that people who have the option to be in the office have realized they don't have to be in the office every day, so they will be able to, you know, maybe go in some days because I don't think that remote or zoom replaces personal interaction i think that's real important uh but you don't need to do that every day so i think that's going to be saying so what do you think steve and you deal with a lot of commercial uh uh clients that have big commercial uh properties what do you think the future of you know commercial uh office space where uh people might not need the space that they did where, where do you well, think that ends up going? You know, I've said it before, you don't make a, a long-term decision off of a short-term problem. I think the commercial demand is going to be there. I think it's going to manifest itself a few different ways. I think, number one, it's about value. You know, one of the things you guys mentioned just a minute ago was, oh, New York, you know, at time, you know, as an expensive city, I, I, I like to change the word to value, Right. You know, you can have a product that may cost more, but you're getting more. And I think what's going to happen is smart owners are going to say, wait a minute, I need to make my building a destination, right? In the, you know, pre, pre-COVID, there might be t- talking about, oh, maybe put a gym or have some other amenities in the building to attract, right? And that may vary suburbs versus city uh, markets. But now they're looking for technology, air filtration systems and security systems, things like that. And I think owner operators who invest in their buildings and have the right kind of amenities can demand the premium and tenants are going to look for those buildings. So I think what we're going to see in the next year or two is a good amount of leasing activity and buildings being repositioned and tenants repositioning their office layout. 
and I'll talk more about it after the break. Right, and well, I'll give you some real numbers of what happened in February with, with, with uh, the city, uh, the numbers of contracts. 866-970-9622. We'd love to hear from you with your calls. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Joe Piscopo. My friends over at Route 22 Toyota want me to remind you that if you're tired of dealing with dummies, get over to the state-of-the-art service facility in Hillside, New Jersey, please. Alex Kinsella has the entire team staying safe, wearing masks, socially distancing, fogging vehicles with every single service to make sure they're disinfected. At Route 22 Toyota, they always get it right. They're doing their part to stay safe. Plus, right now, Route 22 Toyota is offering qualified buyers more reasons than ever to get into a new Toyota, like 0% APR financing up to five years and zero down leases on some of your favorite Toyota models. Call 855-621-9949 for details and make sure to tell them Joe sent you. 855-621-9949 to schedule a test drive and Route 22 Toyota will get you driving a new Toyota with 0% interest or zero down leases. Now that is the smart way to buy. Route 22 Toyota, Route 22 West in Hillside, New Jersey or at Route 22 Toyota. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language like French, Spanish, or Russian, but thought it would be too difficult and time-consuming? Then go to Babbel.com and try it for free. Babbel works because it's built around real life. It teaches you everyday practical conversations that you will actually use. In 15 minutes a day, you'll be on your way to speaking a new language in just a few weeks. Babbel uses a modern conversation-based technique that makes language engaging, fun, and memorable. It starts by teaching you words and phrases. Then, sentences gradually get more complex. Soon, you're practicing short conversations about real-life topics. Babbel is created by language experts who use the space repetition method to help you learn quickly and remember what you learned. With Babbel, you can speak a new language. Babbel, language for life. Celebrating 10 million subscriptions sold. Now try Babbel for free at Babbel.com. Just go to Babbel.com and start learning a new language today. That's Babbel.com. B-A-B-B-E-L.com. Your business is ready for a reboot, a recharge. The way our companies operate has changed. Adapting to the changes hasn't been easy, but never more important to succeed. Many of the digital resources available have helped overcome obstacles your business is facing. But are you using the full potential of every one of them? That's where Salem Surround can help. Your business needs to use digital tools more than ever to stay in touch with customers, making buying decisions right now and for the future. Will they consider or even know about you? The marketing team at Salem Surround gives you the tools needed to stand out and be visible to current and potential customers online right now looking for what you do. We'll design a plan that targets and surrounds customers with proven marketing strategies. Contact Salem Surround for a free evaluation of your marketing plan and see how we can help place your advertising message in front of today's consumers. Learn more at surroundnewyork.com. Surroundnewyork.com. Connecting you with new customers. Listen to us online at am970theanswer.com. Tune in, iHeart, Alexa, or radio.com. 
Hey, it's Joe Piscopo for Pat Lafreda Meat Purveyors. You know they supply many of New York and New Jersey's finest restaurants? Yes, like 1,600 of those restaurants. Now you can get the same high-quality selection of meats for your most important customer, your own family. Lafreda deals in only premium 100% black Angus cattle raised and grazed in the United States. Their only focus is meat. You won't find any frozen side dishes or any gimmicks here. Offering every kind of meat and every cut like uh, tomahawk bone-in ribeye porterhouse center cut filet just to name a few supplying only the highest quality beef pork lamb veal poultry and america's best burger chopped meat blends shipped overnight cut the night you place your order and always fresh never frozen order online please at lafreda.com l-a-f-r-i-e-d-a lafreda.com It's I on Real Estate. Got a question? Call 866-970-9622. Here's Douglas Elements CEO, Dottie Herman. We're back. You're listening to I on Real Estate. I'm here with my co-host, Stephen Ebert. Uh, Ace Watasupar is uh, on a business trip, so he's not with us today. And as I said before, uh, we'll answer any of your questions on mortgages. We'll give it a whirl. Uh, if you have, and make sure to call us at 866-970-9622. And we're going to give you, uh, we're going to give you a little data and, and, and actual facts about what's going on in the city. Because when you read different articles, it's not really clear, okay, because they're throwing a lot of different numbers in. But let me say this, home buying continued to skyrocket in Manhattan and Brooklyn. Buyers continue to snatch up Manhattan and Brooklyn homes in extremely high numbers, and that's from all of our market reports at Douglas Elliman. Uh, newly signed contracts for co-ops, condos, and one to three family homes rose year over year. So from this time, this time last year to this time now, um, they rose for the third consecutive month, and in Brooklyn for the eighth consecutive month. So everything seems to be rising. Now, new listings dropped annually for five months in a row as increasing sales are overpowering them. So what that's saying is that because so many people are buying and they're getting good deals now, the inventory is going very quickly and there's not a lot of inventory. So I will tell you this, if you are a serious buyer and you are looking, I would get to know the market, go to open house. Well, I don't know if you can go to virtual open houses, look at prices and if you and get qualified so that you know how much you can spend, but if you find something you like, you can't, you know, sit around and ponder. I mean, things are just selling. Um, Manhattan saw 601 co-op deals in February compared to 321 last year. Now, last February... I think was right before the lockdown. So we were already kind of nervous about COVID, but uh, that's just about double of what we had last February. And um, it, it, they increased by 55% and deals for one to three bedroom family homes increased from five to 21 year over year, uh, which is an increase of 300%. So everything is looking up. Listings for new co-ops dropped again. Uh, they had a decline, so there's not as much on the market. Inventory is tight. 
And the most common price range for Manhattan Co-op steel last month was between 500,000 and a million. So it's, you know, it's still pricey. And uh, condos were between the one, the most that sold were in between 1 million and 2 million. Okay, so that's pretty decent. Uh, Brooklyn signed contracts for co-ops and they increased uh, a fair amount. They have a 64% increase. And single family homes, which is not as many of them, that also went up. So we are, are looking of, at activity continuing to go up, up, up. And so over the past few months, if you don't want to sell, if you want to sell, you have to reduce your price in the city and that people have done it. And that brings opportunity for those people who really were priced out of Manhattan to either go to Manhattan or maybe trade up and get a bigger apartment. And we did a little study on the most expensive New York City uh, luxury real estate areas. And, you know, we're finding that Hunter's Point in Queens rose 66%. Lighthouse Hill in Staten Island rose 42%. Little Italy in Manhattan rose 25%. Pelham Gardens in the Bronx rose 2%. And um, the most expensive neighborhoods in Manhattan were Hudson Yards with an average sales, or median sales price, excuse me, of uh, I'll just say four and a half million dollars. And um, that's probably because of Hudson Yards and that whole development, which is very pricey. Tribeca with an average sales price of over three million. Um, and Little Italy, which is a very small piece of Manhattan. In Brooklyn, it was Dumbo, Cobble Hill, and Carroll Gardens that rose the highest of all of Brooklyn. In Queens, it was Malva, uh, Hunters, and Hunters Point, and Nipassus. Okay, and the Bronx, it was Spencer Estates, Morris Park, and Pelham Gardens, and Staten Island, it was Lighthouse um, and Huguenot. So everything is going up, and the median sales price is down only about 8%, which is not really, you know, for what we've been through, I think that's pretty good. I, I, I really do. I think that's really, really good. Now, there was a story I read, Stephen, I wanted to ask you about it. And maybe you could explain it a little bit. But uh, developers on 200 Amsterdam won't have to cut down skyscraper court rules. And it basically said that they ruled in favor of the developers on a 52 residential condominium building in 200 Amsterdam, finding the building permit issued was lawful and shouldn't be withdrawn. So um, would you talk a little about air rights and when you buy an apartment in the city, and let's say you're buying an apartment on a high floor and you have a view of, you know, something, a view of the river, a view of the park. You also want to make sure that the buildings around it don't have air rights, which Stephen will explain in a second, because that means somebody can build and there goes your view and then you just paid for a view. So maybe you could talk a little about that, Steve, because that's really important. Absolutely. Yeah, let me explain air rights, also known as development rights. Let me give a little bit of background. I'll talk about things to look for um, when you're buying. And then specifically, this is a fascinating case about 200 Amsterdam Avenue, which is right around uh, 69th Street in Amsterdam uh, on the west side of Manhattan. So what happens is New York City has a, a very 
thoughtful um, and complicated building code, probably the most complicated one for any city in the world. And basically what they want to do is create a certain feel within neighborhoods, right? If we did not have any limits and buildings could be as tall as they want, you can imagine it changes the entire dynamic of the city. And you're, if you're walking along the sidewalk, there's a concept known as, you know, the Valley of Shadows, right? If you're just walking along the street and you had all these high rises, you wouldn't be able to see the sun. It affects the whole way in which one interacts with the urban environment, um, which is something very important um, in landscape architecture and urban planning. So what they've done is they said, look, there are certain rules. It'll vary based on neighborhood. It will vary if it's residential, commercial, or industrial. And you have to follow these rules unless you're able to get some what call variance, a one-off exception, um, in what you build. And so in that, we have a concept of not building too high based on the number of floors, but also something called FAR, floor area ratio. And what happens is with floor area ratio, that is another metric by which it could limit the height that you build. Now, what happens is since when you build a project, you have to meet all the criteria, there could be excess air rights or development rights that a developer is not able to use on that project. So there's a whole nother market of property sales in which developers will sell their ability to build further to neighboring buildings. And there's a whole nother market on that. And it's amazing when you think about it, if you, if you think land and buildings are expensive, even air is not free. <laughs> and, that, and that's what air rights and development rights really are. So what happens is sometimes you'll see developers recognizing all this saying, I'm going to assemble all these pieces together, sort of like a bunch of Lego pieces or pancakes. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to really make one building tall and neighboring buildings smaller because that just makes sense for my tower. Probably the most famous example of this is the Empire State Building, right over at 34th and 5th Avenue. The Empire State Building, when they built it, was built on the most expensive piece of property in all of Manhattan. It was the original site of the Waldorf Astoria. They bought it because they were able to make a massive assemblage of buildings and build a really tall building with unobstructed views. And that's why to this day, if you walk over to 5th Avenue and 34th Street and just walk west along 34th Street, you're going to see all those buildings in this prime area. They're all like three, four-story buildings along the way right next to it because what they did was the Empire State Building took their air rights and imagine stacks of pancakes in a row and they instead made one mega stack of pancakes to be the Empire State Building. And that's why those buildings are all low rises. Now, with that in mind, developers, depending upon the nature of the project, will say, what are we selling of value? And then depending upon the location of the building, they want to make sure that they have wonderful views that are unobstructed. And so what they can do is part of their development, they can have deals worked out with neighboring buildings to make sure they don't build up. But I think we're getting cued for a commercial. Let me give yes, a little bit more after and, the break and to finish Spavalon, the answer. Yes, and Rosalie Spavalon will answer your questions. As soon as we get back, okay, call us at 866-970-922.
Hi, Kevin McCullough. As you know, our friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of your life. He didn't stop by simply creating the best pillow that's ever been made, which it is. Mike created the new Giza Dream bed sheets as well. They look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep for me, which is crucial with my busy schedule. Mike found the world's best cotton called Giza. It's ultra soft and breathable, but extremely durable. And Mike's Giza sheets come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. In fact, the first night you sleep on the Giza sheets, you will never want to sleep on anything else. I know, because that's exactly what happened with me. Giza Dream Sheets come in a variety of sizes and colors, and Mike is making a special offer for my listeners right now. Buy one, get one free. So call 1-800-651-0798 and use the promo code AM970 or go to MyPillow.com, but make sure you use the promo code AM970. Buy one and get one free. Call 800-651-0798, promo code AM970. I'm Dr. Andrea Russo, a cardiologist. Maybe you're waiting to talk to your doctor right now. But if you're having an irregular heartbeat, heart racing, chest pain, shortness of breath, fatigue, or lightheadedness, don't wait. This could be a serious condition like atrial fibrillation, which can make you about five times more likely to have a stroke. If you're having these symptoms, don't wait. Talk to a doctor by phone, online, or in person. Brought to you by Bristol-Myers Squibb and Pfizer. I'm Valerie Smaldone. I have a show that gives you a break from politics because it's something completely different. It's Bagels and Broadway, and there's Sundays at 2. On this week's show, celebrated actresses Blanche Baker and Carol Baker talking about Tennessee Williams and an upcoming production. Find out about the brand new Museum of Wild and Newfangled Art, an online museum, and the founder of National Day Calendar is on the show. It's a great lineup of guests, so join me, Valerie Smaldone, for Bagels and Broadway, Sunday at 2. This is Dennis Prager, along with my fellow host, Mike Gallagher. We both want to invite you to join us for a trip of a lifetime to the Holy Land this October 27th to November 5th. I've been all over the world, but I can never get enough of the great state of Israel. You will be amazed and inspired in your faith. Dennis and I have planned every detail, minute by minute, of this trip to make sure you have the best experience possible. We're confident by October our trip will be safe, especially because Israel is the leading country in the world in COVID vaccinations. Join us as we sail on the Sea of Galilee in boats that are replicas of the ones Jesus sailed in with his disciples. Walk the steps of the old city of Jerusalem and join us for a Shabbat service that will reenact the old traditions. It's something you'll never forget. Go to StandWithIsraelTour.com to reserve your spot or call 855-565-5519. That's StandWithIsraelTour.com. Aren't you ready to travel again? We are. So come join us. Listen to AM 970, The Answer, on Alexa, TuneIn, iHeart, or Radio.com. Have you ever had a legal question about elder law or state law? Every Wednesday night during Kevin McCullough's show, you'll hear from Mike Connors himself of Connors & Sullivan, Attorneys at Law, answering real listener questions. Simply email that question to askmikeconnors at gmail.com or call Mike's office at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. And don't forget to tune in to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. on AM 970, The Answer, and Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. on AM 570 the mission stay tuned stay tuned stay tuned stay tuned it's coming it's coming 
It's I on Real Estate. Got a question? Call 866-970-9622. Here's Douglas Elements CEO, Dottie Herman. I'm Dottie Herman. I'm here with my co-host, Stephen Ebert. We're talking about real estate in New York, air rights, uh, uses, and, and, and views, and what to look for when you're buying. Um, later on the show, we will have Dr. Sherry Spree to discuss with us the difference of emotional support versus service animals and what rights you have on both. Uh, but before I just get going, I, I, I think you've been on the line for a while. I want to take a quick question from Rosalie from Staten Island. Good morning, Rosalie. How are you this morning? Good morning, Dottie. Thanks for taking my call. Actually, this call, I think this question is more for Stephen. Um, my husband and I own a two-family um, house as an investment in Queens. My father-in-law has been living in this house ever since we bought it 23 years ago. Several years ago, um, and he was actually, he was paying us rent, but several years ago he couldn't afford it anymore, and he was living with a companion, and she left. So we moved him into the walk-in apartment, which is not a legal apartment. And he was giving us some money just to help with expenses. But three years ago, he stopped paying us completely, and my husband just let it go. My husband passed away in January. So now the house is – and I'm sorry, I get all emotional. No, I'm so sorry. Thank you. Um, My father-in-law, I heard through other family – because the relationship between my husband and his family has been estranged for many years – and the past three years, they have, although my father-in-law has been living in the house that my husband and I own, he hasn't even looked at my husband or spoken to him. So now we found out through other family members that he's been living with his daughter because he's having some health issues, like he's been falling a lot, etc. So, and they haven't told us anything. So this week, I had to go into the apartment because my neighbor next door, we're in a semi-attached house. He had an infestation. He thought they were carpenter ants. So he was courteous enough to let me know because he was about to exterminate, and he was told they might, like, hop over onto my property. So now I wanted to check my property to make sure I didn't have any site. I reached out to the tenants. I said, do you see anything? But I don't have a, uh, I don't have a contact, direct contact with my father-in-law. So... I decided to actually, I got a locksmith, and we went into the apartment. The apartment is a total disaster, to say the least, and it looks like he hasn't been there in more than three months. So now my question is, it's, I, I'm pretty familiar with the rules about tenants because, you know, I deal with them and, and with investment properties, but the situation now is, my husband and I, 10 years ago, we started plans to legalize it to a three-family, and we were approved. We didn't move forward with it because it was going to be expensive, and my father-in-law was living down there, so we knew we weren't going to, we weren't going to recoup our investment while he was in there. So we have these plans to convert it to a three-family, and now I would like to move forward because I have two 17-year-old sons and a 23-year-old son still living with me. So I can definitely use that extra income from this property. But now, what do I do with my father-in-law? I, he's not living there. 
no one has taught his stuff is all still there. It's not a legal apartment. He's not paying me a penny. And I have no idea. And, and I did go in. And I, of course, I had to change the lock because I, they had to break the lock and all to get in to have the exterminator inspect the property to make sure I didn't have an infestation on my side. Under, understood. First off, so what do I do now? A terrible, sure, sure. This is a, ter- it's a terrible situation, and, and I'm sorry you're going through all of this, and I mean uh, truly all of this. Um, a few things to keep in mind. Um, one, even though um, you know he, he is family, he is still your tenant. But keep in mind also that there are certain doctrines that are out there, and when you have engaged in a course of behavior, um, people can rely on that. So you haven't enforced any rent for three years. Um, right. What you need to do is probably, number one, get in communication with him and find out what's going on. That That's the first step. Um, some family members know where he is. You need to track him down and be in communication. I think that's step number one. Then okay. step number two, you need to figure out how you want to handle this, um, how legalistically you want to handle this, um, versus some broader negotiation because it's a little bit of diff- different than just a random tenant off the street. There is some right. relationship there. Understand it's highly strained. The third part is for the moment, um, and hopefully things will be changing, there is not a lot of legal avenues yet. Right now, it looks like it's going to be until May before you can avail yourself uh, in, of housing court. Um, hopefully that deadline will stick. And then I do think, as we've talked on the show before, there's going to be a bit of a backlog. Right. Um, so right but now, it's really Stephen, can I interrupt you a second? Things. This is not – well, he's in the walk-in. It's not a legal apartment. I, I will I be able to legalize it. So. Well, well, you have a couple of – well, I think it sounded like you have really two issues. One, that you wanted him to leave. Right. Well, he, if and he's not coming secondly, back, well, like you said, I have to reach out because okay, it looks well, like let, I want to. Ma'am, if I, let go me, ahead, let go me ahead. finish. He, he, still, he, still has, he still has a tenancy. Whether he's there coming back or not coming back, there is still a tenancy. He has his personal possession in there, and, and you need to treat it accordingly. Um, I don't know if you have anything written or not. Um, you need to be very careful in changing, going in and changing locks because you could actually create a legal problem for yourself. There is a difference between generic access, emergency access, um, but you could create a situation and make it worse for yourself. So I think what you need to do is be in touch with him and come to some arrangement. That, that is probably your number one goal. Um, I understand your point. There are a lot of homes in the city of New York particularly in the outer boroughs, what they call the two-family illegal three, where it was set up where you could have three different living areas, but legally only a two-family home. So I'm very familiar with this type of property. And But I think what you need to do is be in touch with him, figure out a mechanism to resolve it so that he vacates the premises, and then you can go about your plans to legalize the third apartment. I, I think Steven. that's the way you want to approach it. But, Stephen, I think the question that you're asking is that, is that, no, this is an illegal apartment. So even though it's illegal, 
uh, because someone has been that she's allowed to ha- that she's allowed someone to live there for X amount of time, even though it's illegal. Are you saying that she just can't like just throw him out? Well, then, no, no. I mean, let's say the comment know. about the comment about action has nothing to do with legal or legality for the moment. Being an illegally renting a space does have an impact. However, I'm making even a broader point before even getting into that. Right now, because of COVID, there's a limited ability of what one can do. And regardless of whether it's a legal or illegal residence, which can be rented out, there's still a protocol and process that you have to follow. But the fact that it's an illegal tenancy will make it a little bit more difficult for you when you're going to housing court. The judge will look less kindly on you. However, given the circumstances, this is, you know, it, it, you know, some of the penalty typically is the judge will give the tenant some time without paying rent to get out. Well, you already have a tenant who's not paying rent, right? So you're, you're, it will make your process a little bit more difficult, but ultimately that you have to still follow the process unless, of course, you can be in touch and come to some arrangement. And right now that's probably your best avenue because you're limited in what one can do with the courts until May. And I imagine there's going to be a massive backlog. So that would is the approach that I recommend. Right. You, you, be, you find out where he is. You be in communication. You make sure things are clear. You also want to make sure that you have a protocol on access because it sounds like there is a strained relationship. See, I recommend being a little bit more on the formal side and documenting everything because you do not want to have an issue where – New York limits how one can utilize self-help. And if you go in there and you change the locks, that can cause you legal problems, even well, though I, they're not I making already any did that. they're not living there. So, well, I already changed the lock because I had to get into the apartment to check for the infestation. Well, and I, have, I had a licensed termite guy there, so he could verify for me that he was next door and he came to my house and he checked all the other tenants' apartment. So I already changed the lock. So what do I do now? I have to tell them that I've changed the lock and here's well, a copy of the key? You need to You need to track him down. You need to be in communication. With, Absolutely. And if you they... Need, um, that's what you need to do. So, so, I, 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 so you know, I, I think we need to... Topic-wise, I'm sorry we can't go too much further on this. I think we... But I, I think what you need to do right now is you need to have the situation handled orderly. You need to be in touch. You cannot have a situation in which your tenant, um, even though it is a family member, it's still your tenant, is not in communication and is also creating a potential hazard from what I'm hearing. Being a compl- I don't know what a complete mess is, and, but these are the kinds of things you need to get, take stock of the facts and have a dialogue and try to negotiate um, a resolution. And if not, then when the courts reopen, you can avail yourself of an eviction of that tenant if it has to go in that direction. And I think your best thing that you can do, and remember, you don't want to lose your other two tenants. The best thing you should do is make sure it is organized, it is taken care of. You are the owner. You are the landlord. The tenant doesn't own the place. You do. Right? So you need to make sure things are handled properly. And once you have that tenant situation cleared up, I think you'd be in the right position to legalize the property but you're going to have um, a problem where if you're going to try to legalize this property and you have a department of building inspection and all of a sudden they see a mess there and somebody living there 
you're going to create another headache for yourself. So get the tenancy situation taken care of, have it organized, and, and then you can plan ahead for legal. Right. Uh, does the fact that he's um, he's in his early 80s, does, does that, um, is there more protection for him versus me because he's he's elderly? I mean, I, I don't even, I don't really want to go through an eviction process. I would just like if he's currently staying with his daughter. That's what I've been told because he sounds like he can't live alone, and she's not even kind enough to get me a message, send me a letter, and tell me that look, you know, he's not going back there. He can't live by himself, and we're going to empty you know, out think, the apartment. I think we're okay. I, I so think no, we're going Rose, a little bit I, deep. I, for... I think what Stephen's saying is. You need to try a little harder to reach somebody in that family, even if it's not your father-in-law. Okay, I think you need to keep on if, if they, you know, reach out and say, look, you know, financially, um, I, you know, I, I can't do this anymore. He's not here, and you know, and I would like to just get this cleared up. And I, you know, and and maybe you you probably have to continue to do that and try a little harder. Okay to get in touch with someone. And maybe then once you get in touch, maybe he is not going to ever come back. It doesn't mean that he's ever coming back. So he might not. Uh, but I think you need to try that route a little harder than you have. Like reach out, keep on reaching out to the family and keep on sending letters or I would send registered letters if it were me, because people take registered letters a little, a little more serious. And that's what I would do. Uh, and then if that doesn't work, as Stephen said, then you're going to have to go to court, uh, even though it's illegal. But try that and let us know what happens. Try reaching out to the family, uh, because maybe he doesn't have any intention of coming back. Unfortunately, that's just the way it is, even when it's illegal. You know, um, on this subject... A lot of times when people don't pay, they, and it could be a legal apartment, when people don't pay their rent. And so I'll get people that say, Rowdy, what do I do? I want to evict them. And that's another topic that we can discuss another day. But you just can't throw somebody out, even if they didn't pay rent. You have to go through a whole eviction process. And it's long. And then in many cases, I don't know the law about age, but I do know that in New York State, if like somebody has children, they're less apt to throw them in the streets like right away. So they give them time and they give them time and they give them time. And that's just unfortunate, but that's just the way it is. And I think that's kind of what, so if you can resolve anything uh, by speaking to members of the family, even though you're estranged, send registered letters if you can get the address. That's what I would do. I would send a very nice letter saying, you know, you know, your father has been living here. He has not been here for six months. Um, you know, I need to move on and I don't know what to do with this stuff. You know, if you could please call me at this number so we can make arrangements. And I, that's kind of what I do. Yeah, and, and the other thing I want to add is it's still a legal process. you got to make sure you follow the rules. You know, it's the old adage, two wrongs don't make a right. Just because the tenant is not maintaining the property well, not making their payments, um, don't let it go, but it doesn't mean you can just go in and do any self-help. You could actually create issues if you're a landlord, if you take matters into your own hands, so be very careful. We have a, a news coming up, and then we're going to continue finishing talking about 
our, our, our land leases and our air rights, and then we'll have